Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Morning, everyone. It's my privilege and responsibility this week to preach the first uh, three sermons out of our series in the book of James. And uh, um, I've taken my theme as what does James 1 teach us about 2021? In 2021, we should uh, expect something. Here comes trouble. Uh, We should remember something that God is good all the time. And today we need to do something as the verb to do turns up three times in 22 to 25. We need to do God's word. Now, being a parent is uh, uh, quite a tough job, and I'm just moving through the early years of my second son's teenagehood. And basically what happens to a male in their teenage years is uh, uh, their language reduces to grunts and nods. (laughs) Yep. And the other thing is they think their father's an idiot. And uh, when when he turns 19 or 20, you'll realise, hey, maybe he's not. I'm looking forward to those days. Uh, The other thing that's true, though, is he has trouble hearing what we say. So, uh, for example, he'll be reading on the lounge in the morning, not a morning person, and I'll say, do you want eggs for breakfast on toast? I'm happy to cook them. He says, yes. Then I get the eggs ready, put them on the table. He says, what's this? (laughs) And uh, uh, we'll say something like, uh, now, you've got to read your own timetable, Toby. It's on the fridge. Uh, Did you notice you need your sports gear today? Today? He'll head out the door and we'll say, have you got your sports gear? And say, say what? So (laughs) that's the kind of thing you're up against uh, with uh, a teenage boy. So what we tend to say to him, Nat and I will say, did you really hear me? Repeat what you want for breakfast, okay? And and that's the kind of thing we're looking at today. Not just do you hear something, but do you listen and do you actually do it? And that's really what this passage is about. Do you really hear me is what God says to us. Uh, from this passage. We'll start in verse 22. And what we'll see there, right throughout the rest of James chapter 1 that we're looking at today, 19 to 27, is that God gives us three very clear examples of what it means to hear and do his word. And uh, they're a bit surprising. Um, I think it'll be good for our community. I think they address the shape of community life together. So it's a valuable thing. It's so wonderful to be back on campus having had the uh, horrendous year we had in 2020 with respect to on-campus activities. And uh, this is hopefully a word which can help us as we shape something that's very precious and important, namely our life together. So the first thing we see before we get to the three examples in 22 to 25 is that we must hear and obey God's word. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Pretty blunt, And uh, uh, then he gives an illustration of what that might not look like. Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. You've got to remember in the ancient world that they didn't have photographs. They had very few portraits. Only very prominent people had their portraits done. They also had very few mirrors. So it's quite literally the case that people would forget what they look like. In some cases, that's a good thing, perhaps, uh, better better for some people than others. Uh, But certainly when James says, when you look in the mirror, remember what you look like, it's really about taking note 
of what you see. And that's what we're meant to do with God's word. We're meant to take note of what we see. And uh, if, uh, if there's something on the corner of your mouth and you look in the mirror, you get rid of it. If you need to brush your hair in the other direction to look better for the day, you need to do it. Same with looking in the mirror of God's word. Now, the surprising thing, though, about what uh, James describes as God's word is in verse 25, where he calls it the perfect law that gives freedom. So it's, it's almost antithetical, isn't it, to have law and freedom in the same description, because we think of law as restricting our freedom. But good laws actually produce freedom, freedom to be what you ought to be and to do what you ought to do. So, for example, if you're a train, you might think to yourself, I'd really like to go plowing through that field over there. And the law says I've got to stay on the rails. It's such a burden staying on the rails. But the truth is, for trains, staying on the rails is the law, the perfect law of freedom. Same with driving on the left. It'd be nice if you could drive on the right, but uh, that law gives us our freedom and safety. Unfortunately, the one thing we basically don't test you on here at college is whether you hear and do God's word. Um, many of you came to college with exactly that approach. You'd be reading the Bible in order to hear God speak to you and to put into practice what you read there, to respond to him, to change your life accordingly, to be encouraged, rebuked, corrected, trained in righteousness, and so on. And friends, what I want to encourage you to do is to retain that conviction that when you read God's word, it's addressed to you. It's not just addressed to the Corinthians or the Romans or the nation Israel or Judah or whoever. It's also written for us. And the Apostle Paul actually uses that little phrase a couple of times, written for us and for our instruction. The Bible is an historical text, but it still has this direct address to us and we need to retain that. It's very easy to go from devotional reading to kind of academic reading and you can't really separate them. We've, we'll spoil you forever in this sense. You'll never be able to read the Bible in any other way but academically. You'll notice things, you'll be uh, mining the gap with the historical context, smelling the roses of the literary uh, features and joining the dots across the Bible in terms of uh, its theology but you've also got to hear it as God's word. So some kind of Bible reading program, I think, is a valuable thing while you're at college. And I've gone round and back and forth and up and down and failed miserably on this score. Uh, my latest attempt is what I call my three bookmark and the contents page. So I put a bookmark in the Old Testament, bookmark in the New Testament, bookmark in Psalms, and uh, I make progress as I can. So I don't have a particularly uh, strict goal each day, I try and do some Bible reading, which is unrelated to my work here at college. Uh, but uh, my work here at college, I should read devotionally as well, of course. Um, but I think uh, that, that gives us some freedom and flexibility. And if you're anything like me, uh, lacking in strict discipline in some areas, uh, that might be a more flexible approach. Uh, the word here that James tells his hearers to listen to and to do the perfect law of freedom is probably the Old Testament and the message of Jesus. And for us, it's the scriptures and the gospel I put to you. In the previous section, we learnt yesterday that God gave us birth through the word of truth. And in this section, James is encouraging us to grow up, I think you might say. 
So three examples of doing God's word. The first two he describes in terms of being religious, which is interesting because the word religion doesn't come up that often in uh, the New Testament or in the Old Testament, strangely enough. Um, And then the third one is connected to the second because they both talk about pollution and moral filth. They're all very serious because he's basically saying that your religion is either worthless or uh, or it's pure before God on the basis of these examples. The first example is the tongue in verse six, uh, sorry, verse 26, where he says, those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. James has got heaps to say about the tongue, so I won't steal all of the thunder of my colleagues because we're preaching through James in the next few weeks. I thought I'd pick on one I've been thinking about lately to do with the tongue, because you could talk about rage, malice, anger, filthy language from your lips. The one I think's relevant in particular to a community is gossip. Yep. So gossip comes in two forms. There's kind of gossip light and gossip full strength. (laughs) Gossip full strength is when really you're slandering someone. Yep. You're basically talking about someone to bring them down, to destroy their reputation. Whereas gossip light is uh, still significant. It's where you basically are given some information and confidence and you let it slip, so to speak. Uh, Psalm 101 verse 5 says, Whoever slanders their neighbour in secret, that's gossip, the Lord says, I will put to silence. So apparently it's a very serious thing. And I think for our community, gossip light, a gossip separates close friends. So that's what will happen if we gossip with each other on campus. Uh, Gossip is definitely the death of a community. In 2 Corinthians, uh, there's one of those horrible vice lists and gossip and slander turn up along with discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, arrogance and disorder. So if we want a healthy, edifying, vibrant community here at college, gossip is something we have to deal with. I think when it comes to... Uh, I have a problem with both, probably. Uh, Gossip light, because I'm just an open book. Um, Nat says that I don't have a filter. Um, Just whatever I'm thinking comes out of my mouth, which is, to this point, hasn't got me in awful trouble, Um, but it could at some stage. Um, But the other thing is, I think sometimes I do gossip full strength, and it's usually out of envy. It's someone I would like to see down a peg a little bit, and I talk about them to someone else, and uh, um, it's not great. Gossip will ruin deep relationships. It's a breach of trust. It it shows that we lack integrity in our relationships, and and all of these things are very important for establishing um, a good social environment here on campus. And the Apostle James says, if you gossip, your religion is worthless. It's pretty strong, isn't it? Now, I don't actually know that we have a problem with gossip here on campus. I don't think it's, I might be wrong, uh, but it doesn't seem to me that gossip is a big deal. I've known some things that needed to be kept in confidence and they were kept in confidence. So rather than always uh, wrapping over the knuckles, I want to pat you on the back. Yep. And, And the apostles sometimes do this in the New Testament. They say, I hear you're doing this really well. Excel still more. Keep going. Have integrity in your relationships. Keep confidence. Talk about other people to build them up. 
and not to tear them down. So that surprised you, didn't it? <laughs> now, if we think we have worthy religion, and this is the last thing he says, just to drive the point home, and we don't control our tongues, we're just kidding ourselves. That's what he says. You're deceiving yourself. Now, deceiving others people is bad enough. Deceiving yourself is just so bad, isn't it? It's, it's ridiculous to deceive yourself. And uh, that's what we've got to watch out for. So having talked about worthless religion, uh, James goes on to talk about worthy religion in verse 27. Have a look. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, orphans and widows is uh, a, a stock phrase in both Testaments of the Bible. Uh, the just king in the Old Testament, this is how you tested how righteous they were, whether they looked after orphans and widows. And it's like a synecdoche where you refer to a part um, in reference to the whole, like the crown said today, you're not just talking about some bit of metal, you're talking about the, the whole queen. Feet swift to shed blood. It's not that the feet are running around with little daggers between their toes. <laughs> it's the whole person. So orphans and widows is really a way of talking about all the vulnerable in our community and in our world. And they might be um, uh, people who are poor, people who have family problems, the disabled. Uh, here at college, they could be uh, some of our non-English speaking background people, um, uh, people struggling for all sorts of reasons. And uh, James says, this is one of the most important things in terms of pure and faultless religion. So churches and our college should be places that welcome and care for the vulnerable. And uh, the best experiences for me in church have been exactly like this. So the church here in Melbourne, where there was a very prominent politician and world leader, and there was a disabled, mentally disabled woman who came every week, he would sit down with her most weeks, greet her by name and have a chat. It was a lovely thing. That's true and uh, faultless religion. Now, what stops me from looking after the weak and lowly? Well, I think it's partly because of my ambition and dreams. Yep, society tells me to follow my dreams and I've kind of drunk deeply at that fountain. I have publishing plans out to the end of 20, 2029 and uh, um, I've got uh, uh, study leaves that I look forward to and I pour myself into. So back in 2015, I had a study leave and it was my opportunity to write a book that I'd been thinking about for 20 years, the Known by God one, which is $20 at the front desk. <laughs> I was well into study leave, making pretty good progress, but it was touch and go whether I could finish the 115,000 words. I mean, Mike Bird would have done two or three books by now, but I was a little bit slower. <laughs> and Nat rang me on the phone and said, Sulis from church, um, this is a bit emotional. So Sulis from church, and uh, I knew this, he'd had a brain tumour diagnosis and his Aunt Anna, good friends of ours, had said that Sulis didn't know what time it was and needed to get to the doctor at 10 o'clock. Could you take him? So I thought, well, I can do that. Normally I regard such uh, inconveniences as speed bumps in my driven life, but on this occasion I did the right thing. I took Sulis to the doctor the doctor didn't know who he was. His file was so big, they'd moved to another computer screen. So we sat there and he didn't have a clue. Then we I took him to the pharmacy and he couldn't finish a sentence for, at the pharmacy. 
And uh, I had the privilege of accompanying Sulis through the last six months of his life, getting to visit him every week. Uh, Nat took his funeral at, uh, um, with 400 people uh, in Hawthorne in December of that year. He had six kids. He had uh, grandkids popping out everywhere. He was a university professor, um, coached a soccer team of his daughters, just such a lovely guy. And, uh, but he was in this category. And looking after someone like that was such a privilege and didn't do anything for my dreams. But James tells us that that is pure and faultless religion. And as it turns out, it was a great illustration for my book. <laughs> because Sulis had this identity that wasn't known by people around him. Yeah? The pharmacist didn't know him. The doctor didn't know him. But God knew him intimately and personally and it kept his identity safe in Christ. So friends, I think this is something we need to be looking out for in our community. And as I've said earlier in the week, we teach you to uh, be self-focused, uh, but you've got to also look around as well as looking at your, uh, uh, your uh, goals and timetable. There'll be lots of opportunities to do small things to support the weaker and vulnerable amongst us and who can be any one of us at different points. So there isn't a category of weak and vulnerable. We can all end up in that category. So at the end of verse 27, he talks about being polluted by the world. What, what else does being polluted by the world look like? The third example of obedience doing God's word is human anger in 19 to 21. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And I think our society does have an anger management problem. We're, we're basically uh, more angry than ever and it's easy when you're in a culture just to adopt what uh, is happening around you. The internet, for all it's good, uh, can undermine our human capacity for empathy. It gives you endless opportunities to have a go at someone, uh, to like some nasty post, and to uh, demonstrate your bona fides as an ally of a right position. So online outrage is very easy. Road rage apparently is on the rise too. I don't know if you knew that. Um, angry and aggressive behaviour behind the wheel. Everything from honking horns, swerving aggressively, even attempting to fight other drivers, apparently. That happens not uncommonly. I think Scott, Scott here today? Yeah, yeah Scott had one of those uh, almost situations against him. I remember him talking about in a sermon some years ago. Oh, another one, yes. Yeah, and I wouldn't be taking Scott on, actually. So, <laughs> so I'm uh, pretty stupid. <laughs> Yeah, and even in my 19-year-old Corolla, I tend to drive aggressively at times. I, I don't let beamers uh, cut in front of me if I can help it. But 86% um, of us feel aggressive behind the wheel. 20% admit to chasing other cars. Yeah, that's on a recent survey. And uh, kind of mixing metaphors slightly, it's because we're also driven. <laughs> we are kind of got our goals and we're going for them and uh, people get in our way. 
Yep, and, and not only are these an obstacle, a speed bump, they're, uh, they're, they're, they make us angry. And uh, one sociologist said, our culture of contempt is rooted in what he calls motive attribution asymmetry, where you think my ideology is based on love, whereas your ideology is based on hate. Yep, just assume the other's view is because they're full of hatred and everything feeds this. Politicians, television screaming heads, <laughs> hateful columnists, the echo chambers, angry campus activists. There's contempt everywhere, isn't there? And we have to resist this. So we have to ask ourselves, are we harsh and unforgiving? I think when I get tired, I get a bit like that. And uh, um, how do I react when someone irks me? How do you respond in those circumstances? Our anger does not accomplish the justice of God. We all, that's what anger's about, isn't it? It's about wanting justice, about something unfair. Well, the first thing to remember is what James says. Your anger does not accomplish the justice of God. Often our anger is mixed with wounded pride, malice and envy. So what are the practices of someone whose religion is worthy, pure and faultless? Interestingly, they're not vertical things, they're horizontal things. I would have listed maybe uh, praising God a lot, giving, um, uh, worship. Yep, uh, they're important. And Jesus kind of said, didn't he, that the two go together. You've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. And a second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. The real tests for us, friends, are um, to do with these horizontal behaviours. Now, I've heard of church meetings recently uh, where the leadership team will just ask people just completely out of the blue, what has God said to you this week? And people will share some impression or maybe they heard a voice or a dream or a vision. Yep, that can happen. I'm not denying that. But God does speak to us through his word. Let's not forget that. That's the simple one. God has spoken to each one of us this morning, telling us that worthwhile, pure and faultless religion is when we do what he says. He says to keep your tongues in check, to look after the vulnerable and to be slow in becoming angry. God help us to do those things. Amen.